0: You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host today, Liz MacArthur, and joining me in the studio is Danielle Janess, who is a master's student in fine arts here at UVic, studying poetry. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much
1: for having me, Liz.
0: Let's get right into it and talk about um, what it means to be doing your master's in poetry. Um, what what are you studying particularly?
1: What a master's in poetry means is that, uh, like any master's, there's a thesis project. And so my thesis project will be a manuscript that will hopefully form a publishable book of poems. So I'm actually writing poetry. It's, it's not a poetry analysis mm-hmm. degree per se. Something
0: like that might be like in the English department rather than fine arts is that exactly. Right? right? Exactly. Right okay so how did you get here did you uh, did you study in fine arts at UVic before or another university?
1: I did I studied here so I have two degrees uh, from UVic already and both of them I did concurrently one was a fine arts degree in the theater department in acting and the other one was in the writing department and I specialized in both fiction and poetry.
0: How did you do them concurrently <laughs> did you do a double major or how does this work
1: no I did two concurrent degrees so it took me some extra time um definitely it, a, another year and a half probably hmm. maybe even more than than what it would have taken yeah so I just kind of spelled off of them the acting program is of is a structured program with um set timeline requirements where you audition at the end of every year and so you don't you don't have a flexible timetable in any way so that I completed that degree about a year and a half before I then stayed around for another few terms and finished up
0: I'm surprised that it only took you an extra year and a half to do it
1: could you use some of the same courses for the degrees that's a really good question, and probably not one that I can answer. <laughs> I don't remember. Right. Um, yeah, I think that there's like a number of credits difference. Like, and with, with a, I think it's it's not really all that different than doing a double major. I think there's a difference of as a, in a double major, a person obtains 70 credits or 70 units of credit or something, and then in a in a concurrent degree, it's 90. Mm-hmm. I I could be making these numbers up. So, right. <laughs> what made you do that? Why did you do both degrees? Oh. I I think I'm really indecisive mm. so um, I really liked both things and I had come here to do a double major and then I actually I took some time off in between because I, I have a daughter who's now 13 so I took some time off when she was born to stay home with her for a few years and then came back and I didn't want to give up either one. I had actually initially started also with a minor in journalism, but that had to fall on the chopping block because I just couldn't do two degrees and and parent at the same and what I had to just pare things down. So Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I th- I think I think uh, the answer to that is, is twofold. One that I just really loved both of them and I felt th- nourished and fed by both of them and two that I that I was stubborn and indecisive and not willing to give either one up.
0: Are you from Victoria? You said you came here to study. So where did you come from?
1: I came from Ontario. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Specifically to UVic? Specifically to UVic. Mm -hmm. I'd never been here before, so I came specifically to the West Coast. I'd never even been to the West Coast. I'd never even been on an airplane. Big change. (laughs) Totally. But you must like it since you've been here since then. I like it a lot. I've moved around a little bit and Mm -hmm. um, lived in Europe for a few years after I graduated from both of these degrees. and I've been back now for about a year and a half, and it basically in time to start my masters. But I, I do really like the West Coast here, and I'm fortunate to have wonderful community of, of friendships. So, mm.
0: so what made you come back to do your masters after all of that studying before?
1: <laughs> I think I had always known that I wanted to do a masters. I, um, in my undergraduate degree in writing, well, in both in both actually. Um, I felt really supported and I started a project though in the writing department in I think it it's it started kind of bubbling up in my third year just totally unannounced and and untended by me really uh but then by fourth year I I started to feel like wow I actually have something here that I'm that I've been snagged by and that I'm quite obsessed by actually and my um my mentor, my teacher at the time, Tim Lilburn, who is now my master's supervisor, uh, was kind and generous enough to lead me to believe that it was actually worthwhile. Uh, I think, you know, because I was a bit spooked by it actually, but but he was he was able to say, you know, you should stick with this. Mm. So I think that's when the sort of germ of maybe I will at some point come back and do an MFA the MFA program in the in the writing department is quite young I think it's only about seven years old so and I graduated in 09 so I mean, it wasn't that long ago but it was even mm-hmm. younger so I, I wasn't sure is this where I would want to come to do an MFA do I even want to do an MFA or do I want to do something else um yeah but I think I'd kind of always known that I might like to even eventually do a PhD but it was deeply buried and so just uh, yeah, I guess after moving away and, and living in Europe, um, I was also dating someone who was doing his PhD. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel kind of competitive, I think. Like, I want one too. Right. <laughs> so, I <laughs> uh, uh, haven't said that aloud before. <laughs> um, uh, and then I think that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was a PhD in like cognitive psychology. So I felt like, (laughs) you know, and there I was acting and I, I, which was, which is great and totally noble. So I want to be careful what I say about that. But I started to feel a little bit like I needed to. I need, or not that I needed to, but that I was almost, uh, yeah, my ego was saying, Mm. I can do this too, just as you said.
0: (laughs) I want to backtrack a little bit. When you're talking about this sort of idea that's bubbling up when you were in your third and fourth year, do you mean uh, you were starting to write poetry or you were starting to want to
1: like deepen your interest in poetry? Um... Neither, actually. Um, I I mean, I started to write poetry before I even came to the program. Mm -hmm. And then you start in the in the program, you start writing right away in first year, Uh, they just kind of like throw you into the fire, Mm -hmm. even if you've never touched that particular genre before. In fiction, I think I would be speaking potentially for all the students when I say that everyone is just more conversant with short fiction. We just read fiction and practice fiction mm-hmm. um, at a younger age, even if we have no intention of ever becoming a writer, whereas poetry and drama, some people have never attempted before. Um, and then in the second year of the, of the undergraduate program, one uh, chooses a kind of stream Usually two streams because there are not enough courses for just one. So as I say, I stuck with fiction and poetry. So it was in second. It's in second year in a workshop kind of format where you're where you're really starting to, just starting to hone to, to try this practice and get feedback on mm. on your attempts. Um, so to answer your question, did you?
0: Well, so what was what was sort of bubbling up? In, right. Yeah, and driving uh, this interest. What what
1: actually happened? I think and hopefully I'm answering your question right, um, what actually happened was the co- the poems that I was writing, like the nature of the poems that were, that were coming up, were different. The subject matter was different. So, um, and I seem to have, that's what was bubbling up is this kind of, um, I don't want to call it a story because that sounds like narrative, although it does, uh, you know, poetry can, has, sometimes coheres along narrative also and in this case there was a narrative underneath it that was that was coming up a a sort of um family history story and ancestral memory and um I had never written from that perspective before I'd never written about any of that before Mm. and it it just sort of you know there I was handing in these poems about my um about about World War II Hmm. so and that's that that was where the doubt came from I thought what is going on here? I've certainly not lived through World War II. And I'm, mm. all those questions about authenticity and uh, validity. And uh, um, I'm writing, you know, what, what was happening was I was writing about my maternal family and in particular exploring the perspective of my grandfather and thinking, I'm, I'm not a man. He's dead. I can't even ask him. Like, is this okay? Should I mm. be doing this? Uh, And I think some of that comes from that adage of write what you know, which I'm sure you've heard about. Everyone's heard about this. Mm -hmm. So I think part, when I look back, part of what I may have been feeling was um, a a, a sort of break from that. I felt like I don't know anything about this and Mm. yet I'm writing about it anyway. Hmm. Were you writing in his voice? Sometimes, Hmm. but not particularly. No, no. the, The... It's more that there is a speaker in the poems, and the speaker is not always and rarely ever, actually, Hmm. him, per se.
0: It says it's—that's an interesting commentary on, like, the creative process, that you are startled by what you are creating almost and totally, like, as you said, it's bubbling up, like something you don't actually have control over in a way. Um, Is that—do you find that with all the poetry that you write, or is there— Um, where does intention and the sort of unexpectedness
1: um, combine really yeah that's a really good question I would venture to say that it might differ for each person Mm -hmm. and possibly even that it might differ for each project Um, so I'm not really sure in a global sense Mm -hmm. but I can say that for me right now on this particular project um, I definitely feel as if a kind of as if I were just hooked, really, like as if there were a, a kind of, you know, I understand it more now and I can dialogue more about it because I've been working on it since about that time. Um, but to describe what I felt like at first when I didn't have this perspective, I really just felt totally hooked by something and it was scary mm-hmm. uh, because I felt I felt gripped by by some kind of like I don't want to get too, um, I don't know, weir- weird. But hey, I guess I'm going to sound weird by a kind of phantom, really, mm-hmm. by by an other, by an other mm-hmm. um, that had just kind of like put its finger in my collar and was sort of dra- it's kind of like come or be dragged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, you're going to write about World War II? You, like, <laughs> yeah, kind um. of. Whether you like mm. it or not, really, or don't, or don't, you're not going to write anything at all then, because th- this is pretty much what's what's mm. happening right now. Did you fight it? Did you try and write other stuff,
0: and then it just
1: wasn't f- coming out of you as much? Oh, gosh, I don't really remember. I think probably because in the mm. workshop, you it's it's sort of it, it was sort of inchoate at that point, right? Like I I didn't I wasn't I hadn't made the commitment first of all. I didn't have the backstory. Like I hadn't done the research mm. really. So, yeah, I think it was spotty, yeah, definitely spotty. But there was nothing else that I was as interested in. Like my my preoccupation was definitely inclining in that direction. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Is that what you're working on now as you're working on your master's? Are these these poems that grew out of that? Exactly,
1: yeah. So I, I just sort of – so it, it kind of changed my life, actually. Um, in part because of this research, I sort of um, – really dropped everything like gave up my apartment and and took my daughter and moved to Berlin and lived there for a couple of years and started giving my full attention to researching what I could and also f- feeling I really felt and I think I was right that I couldn't for me I couldn't write this manuscript from here from from Vancouver Island mm-hmm. I need to go there and actually be there
0: so when you're talking about your maternal family and you're writing from your grandfather's point of view, I'm guessing he was German?
1: No, actually, so... <laughs>
0: yeah, I should clarify that.
1: All right. <laughs> That's important On when you're talking about wars and sides, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, my mother's family was Polish, and so um, both my grandmother and my grandfather were Polish, although they came to Canada um, decades apart under completely different circumstances. Mm. And my grandfather uh, was in Poland at the outbreak of war in 39. And he uh, he would have joined the Polish army. He was an apprentice tailor. He was captured 20 days later by the Russians mm. and uh, sent to a Soviet gulag. And then he was uh, released in 41 on uh, an amnesty and he, uh, along with tens of thousands of other prisoners who were released on, under that same amnesty when Russia joined the side of the Allies, and he fought with uh, General Anders under what was called the Free Polish Army, which mm. was a kind of a well-known band, uh, army band at that time, and. Uh, they, General Anders sort of orchestrated the escape of this very ragtag army who had like wooden rifles and bare feet out of the forests of Russia and through Iran and Tehran and down into Italy where they met up with the British Corps and fought at the now infamous Battle of Monte Cassino and and some will say changed the tide of of the entire war. Mm -hmm. Um, After that he went to England, and then shortly thereafter emigrated to Canada. Hmm. Yeah.
0: A, a pretty interesting experience. Like, I can see why that would be captivating for, you know, for material to draw from.
1: Did you know him? Were you very close to him? Uh, well, two things that I, I'll, I'll add to that. Um, I think part of what was scary and what continues to be scary is that um, there actually was no material, and there's still fails to really be much material because and I think that's part of why I felt insane and I'll I'll use that word like absolutely mm. crazy because they're like many children of survivors they're, they're, they're actually sometimes are no traces left so all I knew was this sort of family story that had been told to me Occasionally, in very fragmented pieces, as a child, that no one really wanted to talk about, that I couldn't corroborate any evidence of whatsoever, mm. and now suddenly, um, really, this total phantom. Like I was under duress. I felt to write about this, but I thought this could totally blow up in my face. What if this isn't even true? Mm. What if like, what if he didn't even? What if he didn't even fight in in this army? What if? Gosh, what if he wasn't even like a POW in a in a Russian gulag? Like, I don't even know what to what to write about really. So, um, were I was I close to him? Y- yes, I was close to both my grandparents, but they both died when I was quite young. My grandmother died when I was four, and my grandfather died in Poland actually when I was eight. So he returned to to Warsaw um, in in the late uh, years of the nineteen eighties, just before um, Soviet socialism fell. Hmm. And he was—he—he he died there, and he went there to visit a, a, a sister who was sick. And he—we got the call that he had died and would not be coming home. Uh, the day of my eighth birthday party, actually. Mm. And we've never been able to confirm the circumstances of his death and whether or not whether or not he had, you know, a heart attack or died of natural causes, or whether as uh, someone who once fought against the government in power whether something dodgy happened i don't know and um there's i don't at this point have any ability to confirm that and having gone and done now recon kind of in poland it's it's amazing actually many many old women have kind of laid a hand on my arm and said be careful be careful what the questions that you ask wow and whether that's superstition or not, mm-hmm. I don't. I also don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, these are from people who lived through times that you know you had to be careful. I guess what you're saying and what you're asking. So, whether or not it's different now, I guess that fear for them was very real. Yeah, that's some very intense research into family history. And um, do you think you'll continue to do this research? Will you continue to try and seek out answers to these questions that you
1: don't have yet? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that it, for me, it's become a an artistic project and also um, a question of identity and also th- coming back to grad school has been so illuminating and so nourishing for me because I've seen that there is actually an entire discipline about cultural memory and collective memory and and um, cultural history um, not just in in the writing department, actually, but in, you know, um, Germanic studies is doing work in this regard, Slavic studies is doing work in this regard, Um, the English department, but also um, actually neuroscience is actually doing work in this Mm -hmm. regard, too, because uh, some of what's really hot in research right now, and I I don't want to totally bludgeon this because neuroscience is obviously not my discipline, but as I understand it, is... um, Finding hard scientific data for the phenomenon of inherited memory mm. and and the idea that actually um, our memories can be passed on genetically through our DNA and mm. we can inherit actually not just phenomenologically but but actually in our DNA and in our blood uh, markers we can inherit those um, imprints of, mm. of what happened to us and that may go. Some of the way to explaining that feeling that I was describing as a phantom, as an other, as a kind of third party um, that felt, that feels and continues to feel actually very real. Hmm. I
0: want to talk a bit about the, you describe it as an artistic project. um, And then you're also talking about not wanting to write about it in case family stories weren't real or couldn't be verified. There's always meaning behind art, but I mean, you can write art and you can write fiction that doesn't have to be based in reality or based in verified, you know, family rumors. Why is it so important for you that these poems that you write about are, you know, um, verifiable?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think I think it depends. Not all the poems in the manuscript are actually even centered on this particular thread. And so some of them are wildly different. And some of them cohere according to lyric or sound or something experimental. Uh, right now there are poems in the manuscript that... Um, appear as a clip of film and that are actually quite contemporary and modern in their feel. But in this, as, as concerns the, the, the poems in the manuscript that are about this kind of ancestral thread, it's important to me because of authenticity, but it also is important to me because it's, it's just germane to why I started the whole thing. Because I think what is innately there, why I'm doing this, is this, larger project of accommodating huge ancestral loss like accommodating these giant gaps and wounds that occurred because of translocation and transmigration and all of this that was lost to me and lost to my brothers and sisters all these people who are the they're our family Mm -hmm. and we don't know their names we don't know anything about them we don't we know that you know It's almost sometimes tempting to believe that maybe my own grandparents never existed because they're – it's almost as if someone has taken an eraser and rubbed them out. And so it becomes in that way very important for me to say – to bear witness and and for the poetry to bear witness and say – no, they they did exist, mm-hmm. and, and all of this history existed too, and for me to lay claim to that and say that that's mine and I'm not crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, not crazy. <laughs> I mean, that must must feel good to go and do the research and to get this verification and say, no, I'm not
1: crazy. This is a real thing. It is good. I just had a, a kind of mini breakthrough a couple of weeks ago where um, on this particular thread that I've been telling you about, about this, you know, um okay, grandfather fought in this part of the war, then was captured, blah, 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 then this happened. I just received an army record from uh, Middlesex in England Mm -hmm. that was his army record from Poland that corroborates all of this. And much of it was actually my, so I've spent much of the last six years actually, all I knew was that he, all my family ever was able to say was, Yeah, I don't know. We think he was in in Warsaw. We don't know. He spent time in a in a concentration camp. He said he fought at casino. Then he got to Canada, and I would ask like, What do you mean? Like, When did he go there? And what happened? And what did he say? What did he say? Just, I was in a concentration camp. What were his words exactly? But no one, of course, these are. There's probably many many reasons why. there's no evidence or why no one even wants to talk about it but so that's all I knew and so much of of the time that I've spent is kind of piecing together what I think might have happened like a hypothesis really okay so going back to the history books and tracing other people's maps and reading like I can't even tell you how much stuff online and first person accounts and then thinking, OK, in order for him to have gotten hypothetically to casino, he would have needed to be here. Maybe he traveled with this army. Maybe he did this. And then I got this army record three weeks ago, like signed and stamped from real authentic people with like that that tells that exact thing mm. dates that he was there date are medals that he received and I I can't even tell you how it felt I don't yeah it just it felt like it kind of felt like yeah I'm not crazy but, but it felt like it felt like such a relief I just yeah mm. I, I can now have something it's, it's you know it's and that's how ridiculous it is it's one piece of paper it's not even really it doesn't it's I'm not receiving a book or a story it's one piece of paper but I felt like oh, I'm not completely on the wrong trail. Mm-hmm. How does your family feel about this? You
0: said that it, you know it's difficult for people to talk about the people that you asked at first. Are they glad that you're carrying out this work or how do they feel? Hmm.
1: I don't know. I don't totally want to say how they feel because I'm not sure how they feel. Um, but I, my sense is they are... Very nice. Like my family's lovely, and they try to be very supportive. And so my mother humors me by going over and over and over these conversations, but sometimes they get tired and frustrated. And sometimes they they say, mm. "Oh, Danielle, why are you asking me about this again? I told you I don't know anything, right?" And they don't know. And and um, sometimes the information is just plain wrong. Like, for example, um, this piece of paper gave me a new piece of information that I didn't know that my grandfather was actually born in a, in a town in Poland called Kirsha. Um, but we had always thought he was born in Warsaw because he was there at the time we, and all his sisters were there. I don't know. I guess that's just what people thought. And not two weeks before then, I had had another of these conversations with my mom where I'm trying to take notes and ask her these very prying questions. And she, you know, she just wants to talk to me about you know, I don't know what's going on in my garden or something, you know, okay, can we get back to the conversation about this, you know, and, and I, I remember saying, so where was he born? Warsaw. Are you sure? Warsaw. What, but how do you know? I don't know. I just know he was born in Warsaw. And then I get this piece of paper and I'm like, hmm, looks like we were all wrong. <laughs> so I think they, um, I think sometimes they, I think they care about me and and they they want to help, but they they can't always help. And sometimes it's just really probably frustrating and repetitive.
0: Hmm. Um, We are almost out of time. This has totally flown by. But do you want to read a piece of poetry? Oh,
1: sure. Of course. This is a a piece uh, set in, in Warsaw during the war, actually. Mokotov District, Winter, 1944. In a two-room apartment near the Apollo Theater on Uluka Voloshka, hard rye and yellow onion on a board by the stove. The child sleeps in a felted basket by the fire. A woman's face, drawn in candlelight by a smoky mirror, coal dark hair, fingers like moth wings over blue cotton at her lap. The child coughs. She rises. Wearing her husband's house shoes, too large for her feet She has had no word from him, though his name lays down with her in sleep Six even panes on each casement window Eighteen rectangles Blackout Ghostly whine of air sirens dopplering. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you for for being my guest today. Thanks so much for having me, Liz.
0: Thanks for listening to Beyond the Jargon. If you want to listen again, go to our website, cfuv.uvic.ca and click on the Listen tab.